I'm Jake Mintz. And I'm Jordan Schusterman. And on this Friday edition of Baseball Barbecast, we are talking about how excited we are to watch Yoshinobu Yamamoto pitch in Major League Baseball. Discuss how much of a travesty it is that not all spring training games are televised. And of course, react to the massive news that Shohei Otani, uh, Jake, Shohei Otani is married. He had uh, what we would call a secret wife. So we debate how many people knew about Shohei Otani being married before this week. Give it a listen on Yahoo Sports. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world, announcing our wife over the middle of the night. I'm Jake Mitz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and neither of us have secret wives until now. No, no. Uh, we've actually been pretty public about our respective uh, marriages and or engagements. Uh, I got married last summer. You were there. You were a witness. Uh, there were a lot of people there. A lot of people knew about it. Uh, it was not necessarily a secret that I posted on Instagram. We are, of course, going to talk about Shohei Otani's big announcement, always finding ways to stay in the news. God bless that man. But that is not going to be our first topic because this is ostensibly a baseball podcast. And we do have some baseball topics to talk about on this fine Friday. Uh, and I'm excited to do that as well. I am excited to talk about the baseball topics. Yes. But I am mostly excited to talk about Otani going, my wife. <laughs> yes, yes, we will. But it is Friday. We're we're rolling, man. This 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 whole baseball barbacast thing. Uh, you can't stop us now. I mean, this this three times a week situation is is such a such a pleasure to to have back in my life. And I'm glad too that uh, that you know again, th- this is the kind of show I think that will will really cover. The, the range of, of baseball barbacast passions. Uh, yeah. We are going to do dig into Yoshinobu Yamamoto's StatCast data, which was, I guess, secret, but then became public. We are going to talk about the travesty that is spring training games not being televised, sometimes being televised and whatnot. Uh, and then, yeah, as you said, we, we, we have to talk about uh, Shohei's wife, who is a normal Japanese woman. But Jake, I want to start with his teammate. I want to start with Yoshinobu Yamamoto because okay. he is something novel. He is something new. He is an actual new character in our universe for as much as we like to pretend or a lot of the national media has pretending like Shohei Otani is in our lives for the first time. Um, when he hits that home run against the White Sox the other day, it's like, yeah, I've, I've seen that before. You know, it's like, I know, I know what that looks like. This 
introduction of Yamamoto, even in a spring training context, seeing him in a Dodgers uniform pitching over a couple innings felt different, felt special, felt like I was seeing something for the first time. And that's because we were. And I know this is a picture that fascinates you. He fascinates me. And I think we should we should really take a moment to to appreciate what we might be about to witness with him in his first year as a Dodger. 12 year, $325 million plus a $50 million posting fee for a guy who had never thrown a single pitch in the major leagues. And I think it was rational for people to see that dynamic and be confused and aghast and have skepticism if that quote was worth it. Mm -hmm. I think he is going to be as worth it as any $325 million pitcher whose value rests solely upon a flimsy elbow ligament can possibly be because his raw stuff is flat out elite. And it's not just the stuff. It is how it comes out of his hand and how it gets from the mound to the plate. And I think the hardcore ball heads among us had watched quite a bit of Yamamoto video from his time in Japan from his time in the WBC, but it's a different experience to see that on a spring training mound, to see it with an MLB camera, to see it in an MLB uniform. And my first takeaway before we get to the the data, his motion is wild, right? He is, it looks like he's falling over with his straight leg. He's not getting to like full leg lift and then out of nowhere, he explodes towards the plate and the ball flies out of his hand at 95 miles an hour. It's a remarkable thing to see. Yeah, and especially when you when you contrast it, I, I do want to kind of spin this forward to comparing it to some of the other Japanese pitchers, you know, we've had come over with a lot of hype. Um, but, you know, a lot of the deliveries of guys like Darvish, um, Tanaka, uh, Kikuchi, they're much more deliberate, right? You have a, a leg lift, you have kind of a balance and it's a very gradual, you know, build up and then the explosion. Whereas this, to your point, he's kind of just like sidestepping forward and it's almost jarring. And then to see the ball explode, I mean, this guy, this is the other thing. He ain't a big dude. You know, it's not just the height. It's just the the overall build is just not very intimidating. And yet it just absolutely explodes out of his hand. The fastball you could see against even a guy like Marcus Semien, against the guy like Wyatt Langford, like it it clearly was jumping. But then you talk about the depth of the arsenal. You talk about the splitter. We've seen so many Japanese pitchers come over and have incredible splitters. I, the slow curveball, that's really something that I'm fascinated to see how much he's able to work that in against big league, big league bats because that's a pitch that we've kind of seen die out uh, at the major league level as far as a is swing and miss offering and, and, and guys actually using it. And then, of course, he he still has, you know, slider and cutter. And we're going to see all those things. But the whole thing and, and the most important part about it, the reason why it's so special is, is the command, the intent. And that's something that I talked to a uh, top prospect, Dalton Rushing, about. He told me a story about catching one of his bullpens. Uh, and this was even in L.A. This is like before they even got a spring training and how like apologetic he was when he would miss his spot by, you know, half an inch. <laughs> it's like, no, dude, it's fine. Like, you're going to be okay, even if you're throwing 97 miles an hour there. Um, and it's just it's just so impressive. His athleticism and just the grace with which he moves and all the pitches kind of work together is, is really exciting. Immediately must-see TV, right? Mm -hmm. Every start. Yeah, 
yeah. And that's and that's why I wanted to to kind of bring up the comparison to Darvish in particular. And people kind of pointed this out. Um, I think someone made the note yesterday that that it's it's possible we're going to get Yamamoto versus Darvish in Korea, either in the first or second game of the season. And I do think that as we think about expectations for Yamamoto this season, we think back to you, Darvish, who also came over, you know, age 25 season and came over with a ton of hype, who at the time was considered, you know, the best pitcher that Japan ever had. And just thinking about what those seasons were like. And I'm looking at the seasons that Darvish had, you know, 12, 13, and 14, when he was an all-star all three years. And I'm thinking, you know, this is over those three seasons. He had a 3-2-7 ERA, 545 innings, at 680 strikeouts. And I'm like, man, if Yamamoto does that, I will be blown away. You know, like yeah. I think... And, and but so then what is different? What is different and what is the same, you know, between him and Darvish? Darvish was, of course, much more physical, but the stuff particularly now his way was much more of the breaking balls than the, than the splitters. And of course, Yamamoto maybe has more heat, but it is just a reminder that like while he ha- has the biggest contract ever, he got double what Darvish got or whatever. The standard's pretty high here, and, and we we had this. Darvish lived up to it in, in every sense, and it's a, it's a high bar for Yamamoto, but I, I really do think he can do it as well. I think the biggest difference between Darvish and Yamamoto is what we know about pitching now that we didn't know a decade ago. And I mean that specifically in terms of fastball shape. I think I've talked about this in the podcast before, but for most of baseball history, we could really only measure how hard the ball was being thrown. And velocity is not the only thing about a fastball's trajectory to the plate that matters to a hitter. What we've learned recently is this idea called vertical movement, which is how much does the ball stay on plane and fight back against gravity in its journey from hand to glove, okay? Uh, Examples of this, like Spencer Strider, right? His ball stays on plane. Other ways to describe that, ride, life, uh, giddy up, which is my (laughs) favorite. The fastball's got real giddy up. Um, And Yamamoto has that. Now, he has, I would say, above average to very good life, what makes it elite, what makes the shape of the fastball elite is that it's coming from a low release point. And that is because Yamamoto is relatively short for a pitcher and because he gets down the mound very well. And so what it looks like to a hitter is that the fastball is almost rising, okay? And that is why even though it's, quote, only 95, it plays beyond 95. And you can see that in his first outing, particularly in the fastball he blew by Marcus Simeon to strike him out, which was just in the strike zone, and Simeon swung right under it. And, and again, though, when you compare, again, though, the the depth of the arsenal is where the, the, the comparisons with Darvish, who also kind of came over the slow curveball and maybe de-emphasized that a little bit more, the difference, though, is is the command, right? I mean, Darvish, even when he was dominating at that point, was still walking three or four guys per nine. And I would be shocked if, you know, Yamamoto comes anywhere near that number. Maybe the strikeouts aren't quite that as high. Uh, but, man, I, I just think that that is where the numbers are really going to excel. On top of the fact, you know, he's going to be in a better ballpark. You know, we'll see about the defense. But I'm just so excited. I'm just so excited to to watch him kind of figure things out as he goes and just watch his athleticism kind of on display it is a really unique watch and and i'm i think i know it's like for some people it's like oh he's on the dodgers too this is exhausting i would be overjoyed to watch this guy on any team i mean i think he's going to be must watch no matter what i'm going to put you on the spot here 
Which MLB starters would you rather have than Yamamoto for 2024 only? Who would mm-hmm. you take over him just for this season? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think the list is it's like fewer than 10 pitchers. I really do think. I um, think it might be fewer than that. OK, so yeah. the shoe ins. Tell me if you disagree. Garrett Cole. Yep. Spencer Strider. Yep. Zach Wheeler. Yep. All right. Are you are you running out of names already? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I think again. I think when you're talking about, I think one of the other big questions with him is is going to be the the bulk, right? It is going to be the how many innings are really going to expect him expect him to throw. Um, I think you could still throw Burns in there. I think from a bulk perspective, you could throw Logan Webb in there. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, you're talking about it's it's I think it's less than 10. You know, you got Gossman, you know, Luis Castillo, you know, has a combination of bulk and, and strikeouts. But Pablo Lopez and Zach Pablo Gallen, Lopez, maybe. Yep. Yep. yep but like I would who, take Yamamoto over Nola, Snell, Framber mm-hmm. Valdez, Sonny Gray. I'll definitely Cease. take him over Snell. Yeah, uh, Snell doesn't have a baseball team. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) my point here is because of the the data that we have had on this guy that the Dodgers had on this guy, right? We all felt better about projecting him against big league hitters than we could in the past with other with other guys because of the fastball shape, and that's part of why I'm so bullish on him moving forward. Now, again, he could he could not adjust. The ball could be weird, but everything looked correct in his first outing in spring training. And we talked in the last episode, what are things you can deduce from spring training that are real? Okay. The data, the velocity, the vertical movement, the slider spin and movement on Yamamoto's pitches looked normal and fine with the new baseball. And that is certainly notable. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, it's, it's not even just about like seeing what he did in two innings. It's just, it's, there's just so much, you know, reason to be confident. Now, again, he threw 193 innings in, in 2021 and 2022. Of course, that's just pitching once a week and not every five days. So there's going to be some adjustments there. But from a pure talent standpoint, I'm excited to see how good he could be. And I'm also excited to see what doesn't work because that we're, we're not going to find it. There are going to be things that, that don't work for him. Maybe it is that slow curveball. Maybe there is a, a pitch that isn't doesn't necessarily translate quite as much. And we're going to find that yeah. out. But I really do think and, and understand why so many teams were willing to to remember, you know, the Dodgers ended up with him. There were a lot of teams willing to give him $300 million. And yep. that, I, that is, I think, a, an important thing to remember as we move forward with him. And how will his stuff change once he unveils Secret Life? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't know Yamamoto's uh, marital status, but uh, that could be that could really be, be unlocking something uh, moving forward. We'll see. Let's pivot to another player making the leap from Asia to the States, Jung-Hoo Lee who's coming over from the KBO, from the Key Womb Heroes, who got a nice, hefty deal from the San Francisco Giants. Four years, I believe. Oh, it was more than that, right? It's more he, than that? Oh, yeah. His his contract was probably, again, uh, you know, Boris in oh, terms of like... six years, six years. Yeah, it was six years, 113, Sorry. which I think at the start of the offseason, people were like, oh, you know, maybe he could, you know, he's certainly going to get more than Hassan Kim, but were we talking five for 90, you know, for, you know, he's a younger free agent, so you, you could imagine it being a longer deal. But for him to get 113 million guaranteed when we have such a small track record of KBO hitters, you know, coming over in general, not even just coming over to succeeding, just coming over in general, it's a much smaller list. 
um, I think shows how he was considered a super duper top prospect, probably the most accomplished and high upside you know, talent we've seen coming over, at least offensively from Korea. And we wanted to talk about him because, again, moments in spring training that matter. He hit a home run yesterday with a 110-mile-an-hour exit velocity. And the exit velocity is something that while people can roll their eyes at it and say, oh, this, this doesn't matter, this is launch, that is a demonstrated physical skill that if, you know, shown, that is something that you can say, okay, that is in there, that is in the tank. And when for Jung Hoo Lee in particular, the question has been, how will the game power translate in the major leagues for him to already show that he can hit a ball 110 over the fence is is significant. Now, does that mean he's going to do that 30 times this year and he's going to 30 homers in San Francisco? Probably not. But that is a physical demonstration of something that we you know, didn't know for sure and didn't know if that was going to be something that would be part of his game. And I said on Wednesday, we, we talked about Solaire, the most important part about this Giants having success this year is Jung Hoo Lee's transition uh, to the league and, and being a good hitter right away. And these are little glimpses, but it's, it's pretty promising so far. Here are some players who did not hit a ball 110 last year. Willie Adamas, Matt McClain, Jose Altuve, Chaz McCormick, Alec Bohm, Bryson Stott. Okay, so it, it's not the be-all, end-all. You could be a good, valuable player and not hit a ball 110. What I'm trying to convey is the biggest worry people had about Jung-Hoo Lee was, does he have the physicality to hit the baseball that hard in the big leagues? And now we know he has 110 in his mus muscularity. Mm -hmm. Like, Jordan and I, with no amount of training, it, it is impossible for mm -hmm. our bones and ligaments to make a baseball go that fast, okay? Right. Jung-Hoo Lee can do it, yeah. and that is notable. Yeah, yeah. And when you combine that with, again, the, the overall profile, which is, you know, exceptional contact ability, plate discipline, and hopefully good center field defense, you can understand why there is a lot of excitement uh, for him. So, again, now the other thing, though, <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, but objectively hilarious stat cast outcome, which was that the home run that he hit uh, at Salt River, you know, it shows you how many uh, ballparks it's a home run in. It was oh, every every ballpark <laughs> except for Oracle, <laughs> which is objectively hilarious. Um, but again, listen, we know that. Uh, listen, this does not mean I'm expecting projecting him to hit 30 home runs, but it's a good sign, and I'm really excited about this guy. And and I I think for a Giants fan base that is looking for anything to get excited about, he could become a an absolute star there very 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 quickly. Convince me I'm wrong, and we'll get to this on season preview stuff. I think I've talked myself into the Giants being interesting. Maybe not yeah. good, but <laughs> sneaky watchable compared to where I thought they would be at the beginning of the winter. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, Does but that, they don't get a banner for that. I mean, they don't no, get sneaky watchable not, rings. No, no, not even close. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think I agree with that. But yeah, I mean, they're dealing with some... Some pitching injuries, some really scary news of, about Tristan Beck uh, dealing with an, an aneurysm that is, is is affecting him, and he's going to be out for a while. We know Keaton Wynn was shut down. Uh, they need to sign Snell or Montgomery. I mean, and I still feel like there's a good chance they will. But I agree. From watchability standpoint, they've made massive, massive strides <laughs> just with, with the offseason that they've had. Because even Jordan Hicks, like, do I think he's actually going to be able to start? Not really. Am I excited to watch it? Absolutely. So, sure. <laughs> Works so, we're talking a lot about spring training action, mm -hmm. which is a good transition to our next topic. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to consume 
spring <laughs> training action. Now, Jordan, you have uh, brought to the table some research mm-hmm. about how many spring training games are televised and how many spring training games are not. During the regular season, every regular season game is on television in some form. Whether or not you can watch it in your local market is a different situation. They are all being recorded by cameras and have people talking about them through your headphones. That is true. However, that is not the case in spring training. Jordan, please explain me like I'm five. Well, so the reason this became a particular topic yesterday was because the Pirates and Orioles were facing off and we had a parade of number one picks. Uh, Paul Skeens was facing off uh, against, I guess, Corbin Burns, who was not number one pick, but that's a pretty cool pitching matchup. Jackson Holiday was playing for the Orioles, as was Hadley Rutschman, Henry Davis, who homered off uh, Corbin Burns. Uh, By the way, just side note, it is really remarkable that the last six first round picks or first overall picks have been Pirates, Orioles, and Tigers. <laughs> I think the lottery will, regardless, will start to get some variety here. But when I when I saw those, I was like, wow, that is, that is very strange. But anyway, everyone freaks out and says, oh my gosh, how is this not on television? You know, not putting Burns and Skeens on television is a, is a travesty, is, is a choice. Who, what is wrong with the league? And my first thought to that is, uh, yeah, I would like to watch that as, as well. Duh. Uh, the mm-hmm. second, but I want to have like a more practical conversation about this because really, I don't, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I apologize. We're, we're going to get pretty impractical when we start making jokes later about Otani's wife. So my listen. wife. <laughs> okay. So what, why is this the case? Right. The first thing to obviously point out is that the spring training broadcast schedule from a television standpoint is, was decided months ago. Um, they are not in a situation where it's like Skeens and Burns are on TV tomorrow. I gotta, I gotta, we gotta broadcast it. Like, like, like that's not, that's so not how So we get a camera. Yeah, that's not, that's not how it works. Um, now at the same time, it's 2024. You can broadcast games in alternative ways. We've seen the Mariners this spring get creative and broadcast games with a radio simulcast on their website for free. You don't even need MLB TV to watch those games. So that tells us that it actually is possible to broadcast games if teams want to put the effort in even on short notice. So so in that sense, it is, of course, technologically possible. But from a television standpoint, they're not like the, the, the schedule is the schedule. Now, however, the, the issue is, is that the schedule for all these different teams is wildly variant. And you have a situation where there are teams, most teams, in fact, are televising between five and 10 uh, games in the spring. The most games that any team is televising this spring is the Angels with 26. Now, they that their channel, Valley Sports West, is, is televising 26 games. The Cubs are doing 25. Blue Jays, Dodgers, 18. Phillies, Red Sox, Yankees, 15, and so on. But there are a lot of teams that are doing three. You know, the Padres, the Nationals, three games. The A's, of course, only one. D-backs, Reds, Giants, Brewers, whoa, only four. Whoa, 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 yeah. The A's are broadcasting one yeah. spring training game? Yes, they are. From what I can tell, they are broadcasting one spring training game. Now, there is a great graphic uh, from an account I've, I've come to really enjoy, at TJ Stats, Thomas Nestico, who who tweeted about how many games are televised on MLB TV. So basically, like, if the A's are playing the Dodgers and the Dodgers are televising it and you're an A's fan, you get to watch that, right? So the A's have 11 games that are being broadcast. But from what I can tell, they are only broadcasting one. And so you just have (laughs) this huge range 
of accessibility for these teams that that just seems kind of totally random and just at the at the whims of these television stations and of these teams and broadcasters. And that's obviously frustrating. Now, when you combine that with the other element of how we consume baseball in 2024, which is the stat cast component of it, which is the information, the data that we are getting during games. And as far as people like us are concerned, that's what we, we really care about because we want to know how hard guys are throwing, how hard guys are hitting the ball. And for whatever reason, we have a massive imbalance in terms of where the stat cast is enabled for public data, where it's like most of the parks in Florida and only one in Arizona. So you have a situation where teams like the Reds and the Mariners have like two games in stat cast ballparks for the all of spring. Right. And the Yankees have every single game where we have data for everything. And it's just random. And it's just like the inconsistency there is, I think, frustrating and hard for fans to totally wrap their minds around. And I totally get that. Um, it is frustrating because it's like, yeah, in theory, we should be able to broadcast these things. Uh, well, but where do you stand on how, how important it let, is? Let me start with the stack thing. That's frustrating mm -hmm. because that data exists. Yeah. We know yeah. that. Like we have this y Yamamoto data that came out through Lance Burtzkowski. Like that exists. Teams can just turn that on. It's just not being filtered through the stack cast stuff. Right. For all we know, Hunter Green could throw a pitch 135 miles an hour. <laughs> if a tree falls in a forest, doesn't make a sound. <laughs> You know, right. and that's what is frustrating to me. Now, yeah. what is odd about this is that spring training is, in a lot of ways, an advertisement. It is a, an amuse-bouche, okay? It is an appetizer for the real main course of the season. However, it doesn't hit if you can't watch it. <laughs> and it's not just watching the games live because personally, and we've talked about this, I don't like watching spring training games before the before the fourth inning. There's no intensity. It doesn't feel real to me. However, if there are no broadcasts, there are no highlights in a lot of cases. Now, teams like this Jung Hoo Lee homer, right? That was not on a broadcast. There is open angle video of him, but I want all the angles. I want a real broadcast footage, right? And the idea that we don't have that is certainly frustrating. Now, you made a point to me yesterday that I thought was hilarious, and it is that no spring training games should be broadcast except for one a day. Can you explain this thought? <laughs> this is a very much a half-baked take, uh, and then I want to round out with a little bit more of a rational opinion on the matter. We should, <laughs> but, we should start a segment. Can we do a, start a segment every week called Half-Baked Take? Uh, this is, again, like we've sort of been honest about where we stand on watching spring training, because to your point, and we'll get back to this, the highlights are great. Like I'm happy to watch yeah. you know, James Wood launch a home run for the third time in four days or whatever. Like, that sounds great. Do I want to watch a whole Nationals-Cardinals uh, game? No. Basically, under any circumstance whatsoever <laughs> in, oh, in, the month, in the month of February. Like, that's just, that's just not what I want to do. Um, so again, we'll, we'll get back around. But I do kind of like the idea of just like, if we, again, because it's so unpredictable and that's what seems to be driving fans nuts is that like when it is televised and we do get highlights of the games, no one's like, oh, thank God this is televised. It's like, okay, yeah, duh, of course it's televised. So I think having one game where it's like we were all watching one thing, because I, I like to say that that's the most fun part about the postseason is that we're all watching the same game and we're all tweeting about the same game. So if there was only one game a day that we got to actively watch, I think that would, again, that would kind of balance out the the appetite and keep it keep it a little bit more 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 casual until and, and make opening day that much more special when on March 28th we can watch you know 15 games at once and like that would really feel a lot more special I think again you've only spoken about 
<laughs> You've spoken about the secret offseason before, mm-hmm. right? Where we don't know what teams players are on <laughs> until they show up to spring training. Mm-hmm. This is like the secret preseason. Yeah, it's like, and again, it's like either you, you go to Arizona, Florida, or you just have to, like, you ban cell phones in the stadiums. Oh, so like, that a, you like, can't, a Chappelle sh- like a Chappelle stand-up show? <laughs> like they put right. them in the bag? You can't put them in a bag so that, like, there's no evidence of anything that's actually going on so that, you know, when, you know, when uh, Corbin Burns unleashes his new ethos, we won't see it until opening day. Mm. You just hear about mm. it. You know, you just, <laughs> there's just no video. Now, let me get back to a, a real take about this and why this is actually a problem, right? is that what also makes baseball special is that there is so damn much of it. There's so much baseball. Oh my God, there's so much baseball, right? And we are lucky to have that. There is just, regardless if you could say, oh, there's too many games and, and what, whether that is necessary for the, the balance of the season and the health of the players, whatever. But from a pure fan and content standpoint, having a bajillion baseball games is a treat. That's something that we have more than, than any other sport, right? And so when you have even more games that are happening in February and March where there are highlights happening regardless, because again, a highlight can occur in a game that does not mean anything. A highlight that will get 3000 retweets and a million views can occur in an exhibition game between major league players. And if you're not going to show those, you are just leaving stuff on the table. And that it's really that simple. If you want to grow the game and you want more people to know who these players are, this is a whole month of games and action and baseball players doing baseball things that you are just actively not having shown. Now, again, who is making that decision? It's not Rob Manfred. Let's be very clear about that. Like these individual broadcast decisions, it's not just about the commissioner. However, if you are the commissioner and you want to prioritize growing the game and whatnot, these are decisions, these are things that probably can be emphasized and prioritized to clubs, to broadcast partners, and so on. And so that is why I totally understand where fans stand. Jordan, thank you for both a half-baked and a reasonable <laughs> reasonable take on the matter. Mm-hmm. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk about marriage. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz and Jordan Schusterman. Okay. The news erupting across the baseball world and the nation of Japan this week is that Shohei Otani announced that he is married. Jordan, I'm going to kick it to you for the facts and the points and the play-by-play here, and then we will talk about it because this is a podcast. In the middle of the night here on this continent, uh, on, I guess... Wednesday night uh, into Thursday, Shohei Otani posted on his Instagram page, the same Instagram page that, you know, a few months ago, 
he simply posted a photo of the Dodgers logo. (laughs) And that is how we found out he is on the Dodgers now. He posted uh, a graphic with an announcement in Japanese uh, text, but then also this caption in English. To all my friends and fans throughout, I have an announcement to make. Not only have I began a new chapter in my career with the Dodgers, but I also have began a new life with someone from my native country of Japan who is very special to me, and I wanted everyone to know I am now married. I am excited for what is to come. Thank you for your support. So my first thing, just quickly, I'm getting married in September. Oh my God, I can't wait to tweet a picture of me and my then wife at the wedding with this exact caption. No, no, no. Well, yes, you should do that. Then I will remind you to do that. Um, But again, this is, I think what, let's let's start with why this is so shocking and and interesting, okay? Because again, we, speculating on, on this, on Shoyotani's personal life has been something that has already been happening because he is so private. But this is not something that really anybody was thinking or talking or asking him about right? This was not his dog, right? When he revealed his dog and we were all like, oh my God, oh my God, where did the dog come from? What's the dog's name? Where did, how long has he had the dog? All these things, right? Like that was, that was, that became a story. Yes. I would like to push back on that. If uh-huh. there was footage of him accepting the MVP award with a woman <laughs> in his lap. Yeah. Okay. We would have asked, what's her name? Why was there sure. a woman next to you? Like, it no, was just the reason that we asked about the dog is because the dog was there. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I understand that. I understand that. But again, this was not something that was on our radar. And so that's what made it more interesting. He felt like he was, but but I think that seems to be part of the motivation to share it, which is that he is saying, I this is something that is important to me that happened to me. And that I do not want this to be a thing during the season. And so I am just going to say, Yeah, I am I am now married. And then on Thursday, he spoke to reporters. And, and people oh. had to ask him and be like, so uh, how about that Instagram post where you said you got married? Uh, would you like to tell us more? <laughs> and he he shared a few details. He said, you know, this is a, a, a woman in Japan who he's known for a few years. And um, it's, it sounds like he also said that they are now living together and that she was supportive of his decision to, to you know, join the Dodgers and whatnot. He did not specify exactly oh, wait, when they got out, married. Let me, yeah. let me comment on that. Yeah, she was supportive of his decision to join the Dodgers. <laughs> That's a hilarious nugget to me because the mm-hmm. timeline where she's like, "You gotta go to the Reds," and like <laughs> Shohei reveals that right, like I love her so much. She's living with me. She really wanted me to play for the Giants, yeah. but we got yeah, we talked it. it out. We talked it out. <laughs> Uh, the question, or I, I believe his his comment on this, she has a great quote. She has a great understanding of my profession and she's willing to be wherever I wanted to play. And ultimately, it was my decision. Uh, he also said, I felt like it was good timing because it was before the season. I didn't really want any distractions once the season started. I would have liked to announce it earlier, but there were some paperwork issues that delayed the whole process. Okay, so that gives us a little bit of insight that this is seemingly something that has been in the works. When did he get married? Whatever. Now let's get to the the fun speculation. First of all, well, it's his life. I'm happy for him. Congratulations, Shohei. All the obvious things, right? Okay. Yeah. The other thing that's worth <laughs> noting is in the English language post, mm-hmm. he did not say wife. Mm-hmm. He just said he was married. However, if you translate the Japanese, it mm-hmm. translates to wife. So I know that there were some people online saying he never said wife. He did not say wife in English. He uh, did say wife in Japanese. So I think yes. that is worth noting. 
Yes. And then, of course, later, the, the, the clarification, the, the quote, at least through Ipe, that kind of made the rounds was, quote, she is a Japanese woman. I don't really feel comfortable talking about when I got married exactly, but she's a normal Japanese woman. Now, this seems to be a, a response specifically to the notion that is this somebody who is famous and thus like, can we poke around and find out who this is and thus ask about her? But it seems like he's trying to clarify, do not bother this civilian who I happen to get married to, <laughs> yes. which is great. I love that move from Shohei. And 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 obviously, this is someone who, who values privacy and will continue to value privacy. But it does make me wonder, like him announcing this. I mean, I do wonder if we are going to see her at some point. And uh, how, we could, how could we not? We will learn her name at some point. I just... Not that I'm going to be researching it, I'll tell you, but it'll come out. Now, the one part I really want to dig into here is, is the yeah. secrecy component. Okay, there's two two parts about this that I really want to get into. And there was a quote from Dave Roberts about this because they're like, hey, Dave, you know, did you get him a, a wedding gift or a marriage gift? And, and Dave Roberts said, I'm very happy for him and his bride. As far as wedding gifts, we got surprised and didn't have much time to think about it. Okay. Now we get into the real speculation here, which was how many human beings on earth knew that Shohei Otani was married before yesterday? Because this king of secrecy was able to do this, was able to seemingly have some sort of relationship for a while uh, yeah. and, and get married officially, right? Like it seems like he is, is legally married, I assume here, maybe in Japan. I, I don't know exactly, you know, where He's, the paperwork okay. is filed. He's the most recognizable and famous person in like the what? Like the 11th largest country <laughs> in the world? He's right. Like this is an, an incredible achievement of, of privacy and secrecy that he is now choosing to share because I'm thinking like, why couldn't he have just stayed? Why couldn't this have stayed a secret? Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> there's I yet some the motivation longer, of sharing this. No, because the longer it drags on, the more likely it is that, that it gets out. And then it's like, why did you keep this a secret? That right. is then a bizarre question. Japan, yes. sorry, correction. Japan is the 12th largest country oh. in the world, not the Damn. 11th. That's wow. a uh, Jake Mintz re regrets the error. Um, <laughs> but your question is so good. How many people knew about Otani being married <laughs> before Wednesday. Okay, here's who knew for sure, right? Otani. Yep. Otani's, Otani's wife. wife. Yeah, that's two. E probably Ipe. I feel really good that Ipe knew. Yeah, I feel good that okay. Ipe knew. I'm going to say Nez Bolello knew. Okay. His Nez agent Bolello. at CAA. I think Ipe, by the way, I believe is, is married. I believe Ipe probably told his, his wife as well. Okay, so that's five people. We're up to five. Did okay. Nez Bolello tell... And I think there yeah. are other people at CAA Ooh. had to have known because yeah. there, if there was paperwork, yes. there were lawyers. And so yes. I'm just going to go ahead and add three people. <sighs> okay. Yep. Okay. I'm going to add three people okay. in the agency who knew mm -hmm. about Otani wife. And I think that brings the number to eight okay. people. Uh, uh, Otani's okay. parents. Yes. Yes. That's 10 people. Yes. I believe Otani has a sibling also. I think one sibling. Uh, I believe an older sister. I could be wrong about that. I'm, I believe he has one sibling. So I'm going I'm to add Otani immediate family. We, of course, have no way to know about his wife's family's size uh, and scope. Uh, but, but I feel comfortable adding at minimum two. Okay. Two wife family <laughs> know okay. about marriage. Okay. So then we get to the question, 
which is combined <laughs> to the next question. So sorry, of, that's 13. That's 13. Okay, the next question of anybody on the Angels or Dodgers know about this? No chance, Lance, because <laughs> anybody he tells on a baseball team is telling their significant other. And then that is just getting out into the world. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah what no, do you I, think you think like <laughs> you think he's just like on the bench one day just shooting the breeze with mickey moniac and and shows like yo mick well 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 right so again it, it does seem like this happened at some point in the offseason but we don't know for sure like it again okay. he we know he was in japan at some point this offseason but maybe didn't have in japan whatever there's so many different Shh. questions still i do think i think you're right i think there's no way anyone within the dodgers organization had any idea but you know he was pretty tight with some people with the Angels. Like no chance. Maybe dude. maybe he told you know Max Stassi that he was going to be getting married. Like okay. Oh, I have, another, I have another. I have another one. I have another way. one. I just want. I just want to say. Think about it this way. Yeah. Like on the one hand, yes. Like if you are in Otani's inner circle and he tells you some per- like yes, we whatever we we we've been with the same significant. Yeah, we we tell our significant other things. That's the normal human thing to do. And I guess that could expand it to two. However, you're also like if you are in Otani's inner circle and you have that trust, that's a that's a big burden. And also like you might be like okay. This is my secret to keep. Oh my God, Otani shared something about his personal life. Like I'm, I, this is mine. So I don't know. I I think I don't know. I, I, I can't guarantee May it. I yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. So I am very skeptical again that no one, nobody who is a major league baseball player knew about this, <laughs> other than Shohei Otani. That is my belief. Okay. I would like to add Hiroshi Sasaki to the list of people okay. who knew Otani's. Uh, coach his high school baseball coach mm. mm-hmm. okay and then i would i would guess Ooh, what about the the samurai japan man uh, the samurai coach who japan was there also coach. his coach uh in npb uh i believe is uh kuriyama uh, i believe yeah uh, kuriyama hideki, hideki kuriyama I, hideki kuriyama actually i don't know about a high school coach i'm gonna take the high school coach back. i think hideki kuriyama is more likely than the high school coach. yeah okay so let's that? add kuriyama we don't know. Okay, so Kuriyama's 14. Yeah. And then I'm going to add three more because if there was paperwork to be <laughs> three done. Three more wild cards. <laughs> three more wild cards. That to me oh. is there's paperwork. So there's paperwork I think would probably be to get Otani's wife a visa or some sort of status to uh, live legally in the United States. Okay. That yeah. is what my understanding is for the paperwork. So I would say that's one person in Japan that's one person in the United States at minimum, and then one person who had to do the marriage certificate. Okay, so that's yes. up to seventeen. And then I'm going to go ahead and add whoever officiated the wedding. Okay, that was the last part 18. about this. Is I wanted to get to the wedding component because that is a thing we also do not know if that is a thing that happened, right? And by the way, from a real thing like having just got married six months ago, I hope he either gets to have a wedding or had a wedding because weddings are cool and fun and nice and like an incredible celebration yeah. of of love and the people that you care about and they care about you. And if he doesn't have the opportunity to do that, like that bums me out. I hope he gets yeah. to do that at some point. So our rough count is at 18. And I think that if he did have a wedding, there are probably like if you're doing a wedding, there are more people who know. Right. There are more people yeah. at that wedding. You're not doing yeah. a wedding, I guess, for four people. So we're at 18. I feel comfortable taking that number to 25. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, and I think the, I'm already. The, I'm feeling like I. I feel like I'm smashing the under on 25. Half, you would take but. the under on 25. <laughs> I would take the over on 25. The, the last thing. I'm just so glad you bring up the the marriage certificate. Uh, of course, having gone through this process, you know, going into like the the city, the city office, and and especially again, we don't know if this was formalized in Japan or if it was in you know Southern California or Anaheim or something. But just the idea of you know the person whose job it is to Again, again, the people who come in and essentially you go in and you you say, I, this is a very funny process and I guess you will do this or have done this or whatever soon. Um, I did it because I have a domestic oh, partnership. A domestic partnership. Okay. So you go in and, and you know, the, the, the best part is they say – uh, they they basically make you say like are, are you sober? They're like we're not gonna we're not gonna sign these documents, you know, if you are you know inebriated or whatever. Um, but and then they also ask you how many times have you been married before? That's that's a a good question. And I remember when I went, Shohei's like <laughs> one to the game. <laughs> but again, I'm just imagining that person. You know, sitting at the desk uh, at that government job, and Otani walks in <laughs> with his with his wife, and he, and especially if you're like in Anaheim, right? And you're just like. Like, is he is this <laughs> like that person just having to hang on to that information is just absolutely sensational. So anyway, I'm sure we've gone on way too long about this, but I, I'm sure you Shohei, can give us. Shohei, drop the registry, dude. Like, well, <laughs> I'll buy you a vacuum. Yeah. You want to you want a cake plate? Like, I got you covered, bro. I know you've deferred six hundred eighty million dollars. So like, I, listen, you need some new linens. Do oh. you want? Do you? Would you like an air fryer? That's been huge uh, for me yeah. and my wife <laughs> since we've been married. I mean, there's there's a lot of things I'm sure he could use. Jordan, I got you uh, kiddish cups. Yes, yes. Uh, which I don't think Otani has on his registry. Probably not. Um, but let us know. Send us an email: baseballbarbacast b a r b cast at gmail.com or tweet at us. Mm. How many people knew Shohei Otani was married? Before he posted on Instagram, yes. I am taking the over on 25. Jordan is taking the under on 25. Uh, should we introduce producer Brett? Do you have, uh, if you want to <laughs> hop on, do you have a thought for how many uh, people knew 25 and a half is the official one. I'm going to go under on this one as well. It was just so right. secret. Thank you. Validation. Yeah. But if you think we're forgetting anybody or like a category of person, uh, baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. Let us know. Uh, all right, let us move on. <laughs> and by the way, again, I was, it was funny Ugh. because after we finished on Wednesday, I was like, oh, like I'm excited. After Yamamoto threw, I was like, great, I'm excited to talk about Yamamoto. Like we'll do a, an Otani list episode. Like that's fine. We can move on. Uh, yeah. And then he's like, oh, by the way, guys, I'm married. I was like, all right, well, we're going to do 20 minutes on that. Could you all imagine right, if Otani had posted like a <laughs> meme of Borat? That just said my wife, and like that was the picture on Instagram, and everything else was the same. Oh, I love it! I love it. Uh, congrats, Shohei. We are happy for you. Yeah. Congrats. Okay, Jake. A few more uh, quick topics. One. Um, let's begin with another uh, photo that made the rounds, or, or on Instagram, another Instagram post that made the rounds, and it was of Yadier Molina wearing a Cubs pullover and a Cubs hat. People were freaking out about this because, oh my God, Yanni Molina, the Cardinal legend, how dare he ever sport mm. the logo of their biggest rival, even in retirement. What a disgrace. By the way, Yanni Molina, like part of the Cardinals coaching staff now, like I know. still in the Cardinals organization. What is wrong with him? And Jake, there's a very simple answer. But what were your thoughts when you saw this picture? 
Uh, it's payback for Contreras, for Wilson Contreras. Oh, my God. That is a great point. That is a great point. Yeah, honestly, right. Like, how? <laughs> it's the same <laughs> It's the same thing. Like, here, check this out. Uh, no, the answer is very simple. Uh, for those who are reading too much into this for any reason, uh, his son is on a travel ball team that's uh, called the Cubs. And so if you go to his Instagram, you can see his son wearing all kinds of Cubs stuff and him wearing all kinds of Cubs stuff. And uh, he seems to be fine with that. So uh, not that complicated, but it is a funny picture. I think that is an understandable explanation, yet also an unacceptable one. Because if you are Yadier Molina and you have enough money to fund four million travel ball teams, (laughs) you pay to change the name to the Cardinals. It costs what? Maybe 800 bucks for all the uniforms, right? Probably, yeah, yeah. If I'm Yachty and my son is on the Cubs, I do something about that, right? And Jordan, I should bring this up. When I was younger, I despised the New York Yankees. I was put on the Yankees, okay? And I had my mom sew a red X over the Yankee logo on my Little League hat and then sew not the above the Yankees on the shirt, (laughs) okay? And this is some dumb eight-year-old kid and not a top 10 legendary player in franchise history. True. All right? And so I understand this is why I do not accept it. I think (laughs) Yachty knows better and like it could be any team name in the world. They could be the shoes. Mm -hmm. They could be... You know, the celery stalks, Mm -hmm. they could be anything and they're the cubs. Okay. Come on. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's true. It's, I I think if he wanted to do something about it, he, he probably could. So fair criticism of a Cardinals legend. Uh, Jake, I wanted to talk about a tweet from the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, They tweeted a highlight of a goal scored by somebody named Paul Cotter on their team. This is, uh, you know, the defending NHL champs, Stanley Cup Where do we think Paul Cotter is from? Like Saskatchewan? Let's Um, see. You can tell me. You can do some Paul Cotter Googling. But they tweeted a very cool goal. Basically, it was, uh, uh, the puck was up in the air. They were in Boston and playing against the Bruins. And the puck was up in the air and Paul Cotter just kind of slapped it into the goal. Like basically smashed it out of midair, kind of like a a swing, a a baseball swing. He hit the ball, the, the ball. He hit the puck into the net. And the Vegas Golden Knights tweeted this highlight and captioned it channeling his inner Raphael Devers with a baseball emoji. And huh. I just saw this and when this came across the timeline I was like what is what is happening? I was certainly confused before I watched the highlight. But even after the fact I was like what is this? Why why would you say this at Golden Knights? <laughs> I guess it is like a shot at the Bruin to at Boston being like ha ha we hit a home run against your team. Your I don't it's just very strange. But yeah, first of all, my first takeaway was the response that just absolutely killed me uh from from uh Maddie responded, only thing I could think of this meaning is Boston playing horrible defense. That's good. Good tweet. That's a good joke. That was funny. Um but the other thing I was thinking I was like Vegas, like you're you're in theory gonna have a baseball team too. Like you got to start hyping up your own guys. Like you guys. So that's start. my point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say like, it, it's also weird. Look, cause this goal made it three to one for <laughs> right. Vegas losing. And, and so it's and like, they lost okay. This game. Yeah. And they lost yeah. this game. Yeah. I think the tweet should be, if you want to do a baseball joke, yeah. we're amenable to that as a Absolutely. baseball community. 
this yeah. did not hit. Um, and a good version of a tweet would be the A's aren't even here yet. And we're hitting home runs. Right? We're hitting like, home runs. Boom, boom. Now, obviously, done. that would make more sense Tweet. for a home game, but I totally agree. Like, if you want to, if you want to embrace your new baseball team that may or may not be coming, that would right. be uh, a way and, to do it. And now you're making this gentleman, Paul Cotter, who producer Brett tells us is from Michigan and not Saskatchewan. <laughs> um, you're making that man carry. You know, the burden of a Raphael Devers hate tweet on his shoulders for the rest of his life. And he certainly doesn't deserve that one bit. One more topic before we get out of here, Jordan yes. Schusterman. Yeah. You hung out with Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> as, uh, one does, as one does. Yeah, yeah sort of. Um, so Who among I, us has I, not I, hung out with Ken Griffey Jr.? Uh, listen, it was certainly not necessarily the plan, uh, but I did uh, publish a story at Yahoo Sports yesterday talking about my experience at the the Topps house, uh, Topps Course of Baseball Cards. They had a, a kind of a special uh, house uh, out in, in Scottsdale, Arizona during spring training uh, over the course of a week, uh, kind of leading up to the games where prospects and young players could kind of come hang out and hang out with each other and get a haircut and eat a bunch of fancy food. And just like, it was a, it was a cool spot and sign their rookie cards because an underrated kind of absurd task that young baseball players have to do and often, you know, get compensated for is signing thousands and thousands of cards. Um, we did fact, this once. In fact, we even did this. We were uh, fortunate enough to have a, a set of cards uh, in the Allen and Ginter set, which is kind of a, here are some interesting people around baseball that get to have a baseball card. But I believe we only signed like 200 uh, yeah. or 250 these guys are signing literally thousands. This is different for every player and different for every set. But the point is, is that part of this uh, special weekend and promotion is the day I was there, Ken Griffey Jr. was also there because Ken Griffey Jr. was taking photos for a special set of tops uh, coming out later this year as kind of a follow-up to a set that they did last year where Randy Johnson, who was also, Jake is showing our, our card. Uh, that is it's still hilarious that we have that. Um, they uh, are coming out with a special set again, photographing Ken Griffey Jr. photographing some of these young players for a special set of tops cards. And so getting to watch Jackson Churio and Kyle Harrison and Bryce Terang, Ethan Salas, Nolan Shanuel, Sal Freelich, these guys basically show up and be like, hey, we're gonna take some photos. And they're like, oh, okay, sure. I'm just following directions. And then they're like, oh yeah, Ken Griffey Jr. is going to take them. They're like, oh, 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 okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> was an incredibly cool experience. And I, I was lucky enough to talk to Griffey afterward about it. I mean, he is very into photography now. The whole time he was basically bragging about this, this trip to Kenya. He just went on. He's showing everybody these incredible photos he took. I included one of them. Uh, of, of a photo of an elephant that he took in the story, but he was showing these incredible, this like hot air balloon over Mount Kilimanjaro and like a hyena, like eating a wildebeest over the course of two hours. Like it was, it was crazy. It was absolutely nuts. That but the is funny a great, Jordan, just one second. Yeah. We talk about moments <laughs> that like our lives in this sport are what we never thought they'd be. And I think Ken Griffey Jr., Yes. Air dropping you a yes. photo. Yes. Yeah. You is you, from Kenya. 
<laughs> is very much in that category. And that, and yes, you you sort of you sort of jumped ahead, but that that specific moment where I was like, hey, like, could I get one of these photos for the story? Like, it's fine if you say no. And he's like, yeah, 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 no problem. And I was just gonna like take a picture of his phone, like with my phone, of like him holding his phone with the picture. But he's like, oh no, no, yeah. let me just airdrop it to you. And like I was like, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And I was like praying that you know airdrop can be kind of finicky. So I was like, please work, please work, please work. <laughs> I was like, I was already holding up this photo shoot, and I was like, okay, yeah, 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 sure, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Thankfully. Thankfully, the technology uh, worked for me. That, Did that it say moment. Ken Griffey Jr.'s iPhone would like to send uh, you a photo? Uh, Approved no, deny. It was like, no, but like the caption, like again, because like it has like the metadata. It was like the, the caption of like the picture of the elephant was like Swingman Africa or something. Like it was amazing. <laughs> amazing. So, anyway, it was again, the, those are the kinds of experiences that we know how fortunate we are to get to have. So shouts out to Tops uh, for having having me out. Shouts out to Griffey. <laughs> shouts out to uh, Griffey's agent, Brian Goldberg, incredible guy who's been with Griffey since he was like 15. Um, he was, was very helpful in kind of making all that happen. So you can go check out that story on Yahoo Sports, some other fun details in there. But obviously an experience I wanted to share. Uh, on the podcast. So thanks for giving me that opportunity. Uh, all right, Jake, it's Friday. We should end this podcast. Before we get to an hour, we went a little bit over an hour on our first two episodes. We want to keep it under. So we are going to stop talking. Thank you all for listening. You can email us at baseballbarbercast at gmail.com. Let us know how many people knew about Shohei Otani being married before yesterday. Thank you to Brett Rader for producing this episode. And we will be back on Monday. Will Otani give us more to talk about or will we finally talk about other stuff? You'll have to see. Uh, any final words, Jakemans? Otani Secret Kid drops next week? Question mark. Talk to you all on Monday.